Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Where Were You in 92 is a production of iHeartRadio. A special note, this episode features themes of violence, explicit language, descriptions of sexual acts and desires, and so many F-bombs, and may not be suitable for all listeners. They turned around and after... Rodney King, they were really looking for a scapegoat. The Fraternal Order of Police in Texas found this song, and they go, oh, let's point at him. He's the problem. And they try to, you know, deflect what's really going on, which is cops killing kids. Welcome to Where Are You in 92, a podcast in which I, your host, Jason Lanfier, look back at the major hits, one-hit wonders, shocking news stories, and irresistible scandals that shaped what might be the wildest, most eclectic, most controversial 12 months of music ever. This week, legendary rapper Ice-T drew the ire of President Bush, the FBI, the IRS, and the NRA when he and his thrash metal side project Body Count released their dark, vicious track, Cop Killer. They'd been performing the song for a year before it appeared on their 1992 debut album, but the record landed in stores just weeks before a group of police officers were acquitted in the trial for the beating of black motorist Rodney King, and riots over the verdict erupted in the streets of Los Angeles. Critics accused Cop Killer of inciting violence across the country, and it became the perfect fodder for right-wing politicians aiming to take down anything that challenged the idea of family values. Ice-T found himself in the crosshairs of his conservative opponents and at the center of a debate over the limits of freedom of speech. In this episode, we explore the origins of Cop Killer, the outrage it sparked in 1992, and how Ice-T reacted to the fallout and the prospect of his career ending. Plus, Ice joins us to discuss his new book, Split Decision, which reveals his deep connection with a close friend and former crime partner who was sentenced to life in prison that very same year. March 3rd, 1991. Rodney King, a construction worker who was on parole after serving time for robbing a convenience store of $200, was heading home from a friend's house. He'd been drinking and smoking weed and was speeding. When police attempted to pull him over, he tried outrunning them. 
he eventually stopped in Lakeview Terrace, a suburban neighborhood in Los Angeles. Four police officers apprehended him, thinking he was high on PCP because of his sweating and his strength during the struggle that ensued. When he lunged at one officer, the officer hit him in the head with a baton. King fell, and two officers continued hitting him as he tried to stand back up. They continued to strike him at their sergeant's direction a total of 56 times. At one point, a fourth officer, Theodore Bersino, who was Latino, tried to stop his three white colleagues. He did, however, stomp on King. Once King was handcuffed, one officer dragged him face down on the street. King was then taken away in an ambulance. His injuries included fractures and cuts on his face, multiple bruises, a broken cheekbone, and a broken ankle. This was long before smartphones, but as Ben Westhoff writes in his 2016 book, American Gangsters, a man named George Holiday recorded King's beating for nine minutes with a video camera from the balcony of his apartment. He sold the tape to a local TV station for $500. The station sent the footage to the Los Angeles Police Department, and the officers were charged with excessive force as the documented assault aired on news outlets all over the US. It was inescapable. Despite the omnipresence of the footage and the undeniably hostile beating it captured, the trial's mostly white jury in Simi Valley, 40 miles from downtown LA, was not convinced. On April 29, 1992, all four officers were acquitted on their assault charges, while three were acquitted on their excessive force charges. A year later, the officers would go before a jury in a federal trial, and two of them would be found guilty, with both serving 30 months in prison. LAPD Police Chief Daryl Gates took some heat for the incident. He responded by announcing his retirement. That was hardly the consolation confused and incensed citizens needed after that original 1992 verdict. For some of them, nothing would alleviate the pain and the rage they felt. If they couldn't get justice, they wanted revenge. The Los Angeles riots began in a Korean-owned deli when five black men attempted to steal bottles of whiskey and then attacked the owner's son when he tried to stop them. They threw the bottles at the door, shattering it, with one man yelling, this is for Rodney King, before they ran off. Police officers weren't able to catch them, but did arrest another man who was swinging a baseball bat at a car with two white men inside it. Elsewhere, a crowd chucked rocks at officers who'd arrested a teenage boy. They retreated for fear of their safety. Rioters began pulling white people from their vehicles and assaulting them. One man, Reginald Denny, was hit with a hammer, a brick, in an oxygen tank, and suffered brain damage. Other rioters swarmed LAPD headquarters, hurling trash cans at it and burning a parking kiosk, while others targeted the Los Angeles Times office. Protesters launched Molotov cocktails into the air. Businesses, including gun stores, were looted. Some were severely damaged. Buildings caught on fire, you could hear hip-hop group N.W.A.'s 1988 song Fuck the Police blaring from car stereos, a fitting soundtrack to the unleashed fury, devastation, and chaos. The National Guard, the Marines, and the U.S. Army were called in. Schools shut down. Ben Westhoff writes in American Gangsters that the total cost of destruction citywide was estimated to be a billion dollars and that more than 60 people died during the riots. But witnesses say many more were killed than what the news reported. 
Flashback to the 1980s. Ice-T was not yet NYPD Sergeant Odifin Finn Tutuola on Law & Order SVU, or much of an actor at all. He'd had some bit parts. He was, however, a gifted lyricist and producer, and one of the first L.A. rappers to break big. Born Tracy Merrow and raised in an affluent New Jersey suburb, Ice was forced to go live with his aunt in south-central Los Angeles after both his parents died of heart attacks within the span of four years. He attended Crenshaw High School, where his classmates included members of the rival gangs, the Crips and the Brims, later known as the Bloods. He was never part of either, but hung around some Crips who took a liking to him. At 17, he moved out of his aunt's place and was able to get a cheap apartment. After serving four years in the army in Hawaii, he returned to L.A. to make money, stealing Rolexes, jewelry, and cars. When it got too dicey, he decided to leave his life of crime behind. He pivoted to hip-hop, specifically hip-hop inspired by his checkered past and life on the streets in South Central. As Ice said in 1986, I rap about what I know. In his 2022 book, Split Decision, he calls his breakout song, Six in the Morning, which is widely acknowledged as a defining track in the gangster rap movement, a piece of faction, saying, quote, it's a fictional adventure based on factual experiences. The song opens with the lines, six in the morning, police at my door, fresh Adidas squeak across the bathroom floor. Out my back window, I make my escape. Didn't even get a chance to grab my old school tape. Later, he raps, I'm a self-made monster of the city streets, remotely controlled by hard hip-hop beats. But just living in the city is a serious task. Didn't know what the cops wanted, didn't have time to ask. He eventually became the first rapper signed to Warner Brothers label Sire Records, then home to Madonna. By the end of 1989, Ice had put out three albums of tough, menacing, explicit gangster rap that earned favorable reviews from critics, but also a lot of attention from censors. Sex, drugs, gun violence, how police were bulldozing Western civilization. Nothing was off the table in his detailed, profane, sometimes disturbing accounts of hustling, running from the law, and rebelling against authority. His debut album, Rhyme Plays, was one of the first to get a parental advisory sticker slapped on it. Ice embraced that sticker like a badge of honor. He scoffed at the idea of censorship. He believed in what he called, quote, artistic integrity, and rejected the idea of recording radio edits of his songs, which weren't getting much airplay anyway. He addressed this on his track, Radio Suckers. They're making radio whack. People have to escape. But even if I'm banned, I'll sell a million tapes. He wasn't wrong. His trio of LPs for Warner Brothers, 1987's Ryan Plays, 1988's Power, and 1989's The Iceberg Freedom of Speech, Just Watch What You Say, were all certified platinum or gold. So yeah, fuck radio. He was raking it in just from sales and touring. Ice didn't think his refusal to play by the rules would result in a serious blow to his career. Or rather, he took great pleasure in the gamble. He got off in being an agitator. Living on the edge made him feel alive. As he writes in 2011's Ice, a memoir of gangster life and redemption from South Central to Hollywood, quote, I'm not a cat to stay on cruise control. I like to keep shit moving. As the 80s came to a close, he was ready for the next challenge. He'd cemented his status as a formidable force in gangster rap. Now it was time to take a stab at something even harder, metal. Ice had gotten into rock because of his cousin Earl, 
with whom he'd shared a bedroom when he was living with his aunt as a kid in junior high in the mid-70s. Earl exposed him to the likes of Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, and Black Sabbath, guitar-wielding titans who left a major imprint on him. As Ice-T, he'd sampled Black Sabbath and incorporated guitars into his music. As he writes in Ice, rap was a form of rock because it, like rock, was an act of aggression, of a revolt against the status quo. But in 1990, while hanging out with some of his old pals in the studio who were clamoring to record with him, he decided to start an actual hard rock band. They called themselves Body Count. The mostly white members of the hardcore scene, some tattooed, some skinheads, weren't always the most welcoming audience for a group of black dudes showing up on their turf. They were suspicious and racist. And Body Count did nothing to hide their roots. As the group's guitarist, Ernie Cunningham, better known as Ernie C, recalls. You know, there were rock, there were black rockers that played rock during that time. They were more accepted than us because they wore the makeup and all this kind of stuff. We came out like we just came from a drive-by, but we didn't look like a rock band. We looked like thugs. But once Body Count started playing, many skeptics changed their minds. Not that Ice thought they had anything to prove. As he noted in his song, Body Count, from his 1991 album, OG Original Gangster, rock music was black music, originated by forefathers like Chuck Berry and Little Richard. He reiterates this sentiment in his book, Split Decision, saying, quote, They took the blues, electrified it, and sped it up. Even the name, rock and roll, was just the old-time black slang for fucking. Straight up. Ernie C., who was Ice's friend from Crenshaw High School, hooked him up with Perry Farrell of Jane's Addiction who in 1991 invited him to take part in a new roving festival he was launching called Lollapalooza. Ice accepted, dividing his set in half, playing some of his solo work before inviting Body Count out onto the stage. The performances were a success, and Ice found himself earning cred with both hip-hop heads and alternative audiences. Body Count didn't have much material, but the response they witnessed at shows proved to them that they were onto something. After the first tour, Sire Records signed the group. Ice now had two deals with the same label. Body Count hunkered down in the studio to record their self-titled debut full-length, which Sire released in March 1992. A volcanic blast of punk and metal that came wrapped in a miniature body bag. Props to that marketing team. Body Count, the album, took a long, cold look at the dark side of South Central Los Angeles. This was a world plagued by poverty, drugs, and desperation, where violent gangs clashed and kids were the casualty. The tension mounts, on with the body count, Ice cries in the title track, illustrating not only the bloodshed, but how impervious viewers had become to the young corpses piling up in the news. They were just blips before the anchor jumped to a sports segment. This is what inspired the group's name. The world's insane while you drink champagne, and I'm living in black rain, goes another line. This was also a land where good guys were the bad guys, where police murdered men for the way they dressed, for the type of music they blasted, for the color of their skin. Body Count's most memorable and most controversial song was Cop Killer. It's about as subtle as Baby Got Back. And for that reason, some would argue even funnier. It does exactly what it says on the tin, with Ice reciting in its spoken word intro, I'd like to take a pig out here in this parking lot and shoot him in their motherfucking face. Cue the thrashing, foreboding guitars before Ice unleashes the titular phrase. Before he launches into the breakneck chorus, 
we get a fusillade of shots fired into our ears as if we're the officer at the receiving end of the narrator's maniacal rampage. Then the chorus. Cop killer, better you than me. Cop killer, fuck police brutality. Cop killer, I know your family's grieving. Fuck them, cop killer, but tonight we get even. Okay, I know it may seem weird that I said this song was funny, but it's so over the top, so unsubtle, that by today's standards, it sounds almost quaint. But in 1992, this was risky business which was Ice's favorite kind of business. Ice has described Cop Killer as a protest song. Based on Psycho Killer, Talking Heads 1977 new wave and art rock classic, the track was Ice's dark, twisted fantasy of an armed assailant who loses his black friend at the hands of police and then loses his mind, hunting down cops one night and snuffing them out one by one. It's nuts to think he wrote it before hordes of LA residents on a warpath ripped through the city in the spring of 1992. In Split Decision, Ice recalls feeling like the LAPD was a quote-unquote criminal regime and notes that the beating of Rodney King in 1991 was hardly an isolated incident. He even remembers seeing cop cars in his neighborhood with Confederate flags on their bumpers. Black men feared the Los Angeles police, even if they'd done nothing wrong. Coming into a body count rehearsal one day, Ice was humming Psycho Killer, and his bandmate Beatmaster V told him they should write a song called Cop Killer, revealing that he had a friend who'd been shot by police in the back and paralyzed. Ice's other bandmate, Ernie C, wrote the music. Ice wrote the lyrics. If the subject matter was gruesome, Ice asserted that it shouldn't be verboten. As he writes in his memoir, Ice, I'm one of those people who thought that when they said America is a land of free speech, they were sincere. I thought free speech meant I could say whatever I wanted to say. So I just spit it out. I didn't give it too much afterthought. With Cop Killer, Ice put slasher movie imagery to music, hoping to use a slice of outlandish camp fiction to depict a harsh truth. Racial bias and police brutality were very real. Innocent men were dying. But the end of the song breaks from fiction, ripping straight from the 1991 headlines. Fuck the police for Daryl Gates. Fuck the police for Rodney King. Fuck the police for my dead homies. Fuck the police for your freedom. As Ernie C explains, truth-telling was Body Count's entire MO. We wrote songs about what we knew about. And this is what we knew. We know about racism. We know about uh, cop killings. That's what made it so relevant. But as Ice recounts in Split Decision, when I wrote Cop Killer, it wasn't addressing all cops. It was addressing racist, abusive, corrupt, out-of-control cops. Cop Killer wasn't necessarily groundbreaking. Compton hip-hop group NWA had already rapped about slaying cops in their infamous 1988 song, Fuck the Police. Hell, Eric Clapton had even scored a number one hit with his cover of Bob Marley's I Shot the Sheriff way back in 1974. It was the timing of the track's release that proved to be its undoing. Soon, Ice would have everyone powerful on his back. Up next, after the break, we dig into the nationwide scandal surrounding Ice-T and Cop Killer after it came out in 1992. 
just weeks before violent riots tore through the streets of Los Angeles. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Ice-T had written Cop Killer in 1990 and had been performing it at Lollapalooza the year before it appeared on Body Count's debut album. But when the LAPD officers who'd beaten Rodney King were acquitted, the response was intense and immediate. The Los Angeles race riots broke out in April 1992, just weeks after Body Count dropped. Body Count member Ernie C. recalls the moment he first saw the smoke and fire from the riots. He was at Ice's house in the Hollywood Hills, doing interviews with some journalists who'd flown in from Germany. And they get here and it's like haywire. You know, LA's burning to the ground. They're like, what's going on? And we're like, well, this song right here kind of predicts, it's a precursor to what's going on right now. We came out with this last month and this is what happens, you know, now. So, you know, it wasn't a surprise to us. Just, you know, it was getting to a boiling point. Given the circumstances, controversy over cop killers seemed inevitable. When it caught wind of the song, the Combined Law Enforcement Association of Texas, or CLEAT, the state's largest police advocacy group, boycotted Time Warner. Its president and co-founder, Ron DeLord, 
not only called for Warner Brothers to remove Cop Killer from Body Count's album and for the company and Ice-T to apologize, but it also demanded that Ice make a million-dollar donation to a community service program. All of this by July 16th, when Time Warner shareholders would have a meeting in Beverly Hills. Other police organizations followed suit, vilifying Ice and Time Warner. Media outlets reported on the boycott, but as Dan Charnas writes in his 2010 book, The Big Payback, The History of the Business of Hip-Hop, most of them misidentified Cop Killer as an Ice-T song and referred to it as a rap track rather than a heavy metal track. The public outcry became specifically a hip-hop issue. That 1992 was an election year only made matters worse for Ice and Body Count. Cop Killer was the perfect target for right-wing Republicans. An unflinching, incendiary celebration of violence, it was the antithesis of conservative quote-unquote family values. And white kids loved it. They went mad to it at live shows, moshing and pumping their fists in the air, shouting along with the lyrics. Ice writes in his book, Split Decision, The main thing I learned about Cop Killer is this. When you inject white kids with black rage and you do it through something as seductive and persuasive as rock and roll, that's dangerous. To the people in authority, that's always going to be seen as a threat. Ice recalls wanting the racket to die down, but things only escalated. The LA County Board, an Alabama governor, 60 members of the House of Representatives led by House Minority Whip Newt Gingrich, politicians began piling on cop killer. Soon, President George H.W. Bush and Vice President Dan Quayle had both condemned the release of Body Count, with Quayle declaring at a campaign fundraiser, I am outraged at the fact that Time Warner, a major corporation, is making money off a record called Cop Killer that suggests that it is okay to kill cops. I find that outrageous. Quayle name-dropped Cop Killer continually during his and Bush's campaign against Bill Clinton that year. Dennis Martin, former president of the National Association of Chiefs of Police, claimed the song had been implicated in, quote, at least two incidents and has inflamed racial tensions in cities across the country. And he called it, quote, an affront to the officers, 144 in 1992 alone, who have been killed in the line of duty. Time Warner employees received nasty letters and phone calls, not to mention death threats. Still, Gerald Levin, the white co-CEO of Time Warner at the time, penned a Wall Street Journal op-ed to clarify his stance on the matter. He asserted that rather than glorifying violence, Cop Killer was a portrait of what was going on in its narrator's head. It was fantasy. He explained that instead of trying to, quote, silence the messenger, opponents should be, quote, heeding the anguished cry contained in his message. He added that dropping the song from Body Count would be a, quote, destructive precedent, hampering artists' freedom of expression in the future. Ice, too, initially stood his ground, defending the message behind Cop Killer. But then he started feeling like he was under piercing scrutiny. He'd become a national security risk. He said the IRS started to audit his taxes, trying to determine if he was amassing guns for some sort of coup, and that his daughter was even pulled out of junior high school and questioned about his possible ties to any, quote, paramilitary organizations. He had nothing to hide. Everyone knew he had a criminal background because he'd been honest about it from the start of his career. But he was growing uneasy, feeling like some powerful people were closing in. The U.S. president and VP had decried Body Count's music. 
But actor and National Rifle Association president Charlton Heston took his disapproval straight to that July 16th Time Warner shareholders meeting, which took place at the Regent Beverly Wilshire Hotel. While picketers sported signs with slogans like rap is crap outside, Heston addressed a group of roughly a thousand at the meeting. He had stock in the company. As Ben Westhoff writes in Original Gangsters, Heston read lyrics from Cop Killer and another body count track, KKK Bitch, to drive his point home. Okay, I gotta pause to just marvel at the absolute fucking absurdity of KKK Bitch, which I literally cannot even say without laughing. I won't go into too much detail, just Google it. But I will say this joint is about fictional white supremacist orgies the body count throw down south to teach white girls how to properly get laid. It is graphic and deranged and makes even me blush. Tipper Gore, the wife of then-Democratic VP candidate Al Gore, had co-founded the Parents Music Resource Center, or PMRC, which advocated for labeling the covers of records that featured profane language or content with a parental advisory sticker. KKK Bitch includes a mention of her young nieces. To picture middle-aged, Oscar-winning thespian Charlton Heston, Mr. Ben-Hur himself, reciting any of its lyrics is the most cringe thing I've imagined so far in this podcast. Meanwhile, as Ice recalls in his memoir, Ice, before he began reading the words to Cop Killer, Heston announced, These are the lyrics to Killer Cop. Oops, I mean Cop Killer. Dude clearly hadn't memorized his lines. On a more serious note, two police officers who'd been shot in the face also showed up to criticize the song. The July 16th deadline passed, and Cop Killer remained available for purchase. But shareholders were spooked. Time Warner brought in a crisis management expert. Something needed to happen. Warner Brothers had stood behind Body Count's music. Home to Madonna and Prince and lewd comedian Andrew Dice Clay, it was no stranger to controversial artists. But the U.S. president and the FBI also Boku money on the line? That shit was serious. CEO Gerald Levin and the label were in a precarious position. Even if all the uproar helped boost body count sales, some music stores wouldn't carry it. Meanwhile, as Westhoff notes in Original Gangsters, the police department in Greensboro, North Carolina, threatened to ignore a store's emergency calls if it continued to stock the album. Ice didn't want Warner Brothers to take responsibility for a cut he had written. Westhoff details a meeting the artist had with Time Warner in which it placed a quarter on a table, saying it represented its music division and that Ice was just a tiny spot on that quarter. But the musician says he wasn't forced to disavow Cop Killer, writing in Ice, They never treated me like shit, never got mad or yelled at me. Rather, Ice-T says he understood the gravity of the situation. Warner Brothers had even been faced with bomb scares. As Dan Charnas writes in The Big Payback, a bomb squad brought in to investigate even detonated a package. Ice empathized with the guys who signed his checks. So he told Warner to remove the song from the album. Cleet ceased its boycott. Ultimately, Body Count the Album was re-released without Cop Killer, and the song was given away as a free single at Body Count's concerts. To hear it today, you can snag a CD copy of the original pressing of the album on eBay or Discogs, or you can listen to it on YouTube. But as many discovered in the wake of George Floyd's murder at the hands of Minneapolis police in 2020, it is not streaming 
or available to download. The reason why remains a mystery, but Jeffrey Weiss, a Warner Brothers product manager for Body Count's debut album, speculated to Billboard in 2020, quote, I can really imagine Ice-T doesn't want to think about 1992 that much. Hmm. Unlike yours truly. After the debacle, Warner dropped some of its rap acts because of the questionable content of their music. As for Ice-T's solo rap career at the Sire label, well, his vitriol toward the police was well intact on his planned fifth album, Home Invasion, which boasted provocative, violent cover art and included lyrics about cops' breath smelling like semen and a narrator taking them in an alley and giving them a pop, pop, pop to the dome. Time Warner balked at this. Even though he still owed the label two records, Ice knew what was at stake for him, his bandmates, and the label if he kept their arrangement and continued to speak filter-free. Constant conflict. He felt he had no choice but to ask to terminate his and Body Count's contracts. Says Body Count's Ernie C. We were stopped. We were stopped at a stop. You know what I mean? And, and the band, which is brand new, we, we weren't going anywhere. Motors didn't want to book us, you know, and when people, yeah, it, it was just time for us to go to keep moving forward. After having worked with Ice for six years, Warner Brothers obliged and turned him loose. Released on Priority Records in March 1993, Home Invasion went gold, but sold about half the copies of its predecessor, 1991's OG original Gangster. Some record stores refused to carry it. Others kept its placement discreet. Reviews were mixed. Ice's music career was never the same. Even after Cop Killer disappeared from Body Count's debut album, police groups continued to boycott the band's shows. He'd arguably become more famous for his acting on Law & Order SVU. As Ice writes in his 2011 memoir, Ice, people think controversy helps your bottom line, but I disagree. There is a big trade-off. Yes, you sell some records, but with all that static, the cancellation of concerts, the hike in insurance for the shows you do get, there are way more costs that come along with controversy than benefits. I would never advise people that controversy is the way to blow up. You'll become known, but will it translate into money? Probably not. Ice had long been considered an OG, but after he essentially tossed Cop Killer in the bargain bin of his catalog, hip-hop magazine The Source castigated him, with Reginald C. Dennis writing an op-ed titled The Cops Gag Ice-T as Rap Dead. The piece began March July 28th, 1992, on your calendars as the beginning of the end of rap music. Would conservatives win? Some of Ice's peers now deemed him a coward. They became his harshest critics, he claims. Why stifle his creativity, his resounding rallying cry against police brutality for a bunch of stuffy Republicans? Why give in? Why risk opening the floodgates for more censorship in hip-hop and music in general? Still, he stands his ground, writing in his memoir, Walk in my shoes for a day. That was some stressful, hectic shit. That was heat coming from the government of the United States. I was in quicksand for months. There was no safe ground to stand on. The body count backlash took its toll on Ice-T. But in addition to career drama, he was dealing with some personal stuff in 92. While he had stopped coordinating Jewel Heist to pursue music, his longtime friend and ex-crime partner, Spike, had fallen deeper and deeper into crime, his schemes getting more and more elaborate 
more and more dangerous. After one of his robberies resulted in a fatal shooting, Spike, who'd orchestrated the theft, was sentenced to 35 years to life in prison. Ice was shocked when he heard the news. He and Spike had never been violent during their days executing heists. He soon learned that Spike hadn't shot the victim, but had been implicated for overseeing the robbery. Spike disappeared. Ice didn't hear from him for three years. When he finally did, Spike was calling him from a phone in prison. At that moment, Ice became very aware of how lucky he was to have abandoned a life of hustling and heists. He'd had POTUS, the FBI, the IRS, the NRA, and the police on his back. But unlike Spike, he had his freedom. Up next, after the break, Ice-T joins us to talk about the legacy of Cop Killer, the fallout from its release, and his new book, Split Decision, which chronicles his life as a jewel thief and traces the very different paths he and Spike followed. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The Nick's anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of Nick's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Please note, this segment contains themes of violence, explicit language, and cursing that may not be suitable for all listeners. 
Welcome back to Where Were You in 92? We've been discussing Ice-T and his heavy metal band Body Count's 1992 track, Cop Killer, an off-the-rails, controversial protest anthem that addressed police brutality. Now it's time to hear from the man behind it, rapper, actor, songwriter, and producer Ice-T. So can you tell me about that particular moment in your life? I've, I've asked a lot of the guests, where were you in 92? That's how I start the interview. And uh, you, you can tell me very clearly where you were. And this book is, like I said, sort of hinges on that particular moment in time. So, you know, 92 is kind of like when we got hit with the cop killer shit, you know, like they, they turned around and after Rodney King, they were really looking for a scapegoat. They were looking, you know, the pressure was on the police because obviously from video, they, people saw they were out of pocket and the fraternal order, the police in Texas found this song and they go, oh, let's point at him. He's the problem. And they try to, you know, deflect what's really going on, which is cops killing kids. To me, making an imaginary song about someone who who went after the cops. Now, now, got to remember, if the cops weren't out of pocket at that time, there was no energy to write cop killer. You know, if the cops were out doing the right thing, pulling cats out of trees and everyone loved them, I couldn't have done fireman killer. I couldn't have done school teacher killer. I couldn't have done anything. But the cops were at that place where people were like, these motherfuckers. And I, and I, I come up with this, this character. Well, the shit hit the fan for me. You know, the president came after me. Everybody time Warner was madness. Simultaneously, I got one of my friends who disappeared. And next thing you know, Spike was gone. Spike went to prison and didn't make a phone call for five years. Um, and now I'm getting these broken, like, what happened? What went wrong? This, that, and the other. You know, somebody got killed. And Spike got the, got the charge, which is a conspiracy for setting it up. And they told me he had a life sentence. And I'm like, wow. You know, wow. So... But this not only was happening with Spike, it was happening with multiple of my friends. So no matter what music you ever heard out of Ice-T, it's always gone down in the turmoil of the reality of it. And that's why Ice-T music always is a, is a warning. Like, this looks like fun, but it all, one of my first records on the first album, it's fun in the beginning, but it's pain in the end. And, uh, yeah, that's why we ended up doing this book. You had to really defend yourself when this was going down, too. I, there's this line that I really like. You say, it's fiction. I mean, it's based on reality, but I'm not, I'm not killing cops. I don't want to kill cops. You say, if, if you believe Ice-T is out there killing cops and you believe David Bowie is an astronaut. The problem with hip-hop is that it blurs that line so many times. Sometimes I am talking about myself. Sometimes I'm creating characters that are living it out. Like in Power, I said, I'm living large as possible. Posse's unstoppable. Style, topical. Vividly optical. Listen, you'll see them. Sometimes I'll be them. So, you know, in Colors, I become a gang member. And, 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 and I, you know, so I, this is it. I just think because it was hip-hop and it was such an ununderstood genre they didn't want to give us that 
artistic license. It had to be, you know, autobiographical or, or directly. Even though, but it was a lot of racism thrown in there too because body count ain't rap. Body counts rock, but they called it a rap record because if you say rock, a lot of white people will go, well, I like Fleetwood Mac. I mean, like, what's the problem? Rock is rebellion, you know? So they, they knew what they were doing. You know, when you say rap, you say nigga music. You dig what I'm saying? That, that black music they talk. So I got put into that zone for a minute, but I, hadn't, I didn't have to defend myself with my fans. Next record, you know what I'm saying? Like, stop apologizing, don't waste your time because you're not really talking to people that like you any fucking way. So, you know, now here I am, how, what? Many years later, the longest running cop in the history of television. How about that for America? <laughs> the irony, the irony. <laughs> I, I don't think you can find more ironic person than me, you know? <laughs> What is it like, you know, you're still performing. You, you just, I forgot. There's a twist at the end of the damn book where you win a Grammy and, you know, Body Count wins a Grammy in 2021 and, and you, you surprise, you surprise Spike. I won't say exactly how, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but um, what is it like to perform Cop Killer today? Now? Do you yeah, do you have any hesitations? What's the feedback like? No hesitations. Um... I just, I mean, right now, I hate to say it, but it's a fucking hit. And it's a hit. See, music happens in climates. You dig it, what I'm saying? So if we're watching, if we're in, listening to Grateful Dead, you might want to take some acid because that's the 60s. That's the climate. Body count happened in climate of rage against the machine public enemy so it almost needs that unrest for it to work right it's, it's so kind of like when obama was president you couldn't even be mad you like obama's like oh yeah by the way we caught bin laden y'all chill have some more champagne take it easy he was just so smooth like you know whether the country whatever the country was obama never let you know anything was going wrong it was just like yo Jay-Z will be up here tonight. We're going to play a little basketball. You know, it was very player. Obama was the most player president. Okay, then Trump came and scared the shit out of everybody. Trump's like, oh, we're going to die tomorrow. You know, and perfect climate for rage to come back, body count. And the cops were back out of control. So now I'm singing a record that's 25 years old. But the people understand what I'm saying, because the key words in Cop Killer is the theory of it is, is that if me and you are in the street and you're a police officer and you're about to take my life at that moment, fuck law. Now we're two human beings in the streets. So it's better you than me. I'm not finna just kneel because you're the law and let you put a bullet in my fucking head. George Floyd had every reason to fight back. They were trying to kill him, you know? So that submit shit. So, but the key words is cop killer is better you than me. Cop killer, fuck police brutality. This is a song that's bent on someone who spilt out over 
police brutality. So when I go out and I sing it right now, I'm quite sure people are like, wow, you're on law and order. You're singing this. But trust me, Dick Wolf, they hired Ice-T for Ice-T. They, they know who I am and they know how I stand politically. You made it very clear in the lyrics what you were going <laughs> for. You say police brutality explicitly. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, foreshadowing, you know, the, these, these, these recent moments. It's just very much back in the news in a major way. Um, what do you think the legacy of Body Count is? What do you think the legacy of a track like Cop Killer is? I just think, you know, basically Body Count is just good protest music. And we think, sing about issues. We sing about topics. You know, with heavy metal, a lot of it is just being brutal, you know? So we got those songs, No Remorse and all that hardcore, you know, I'm writing a new album. It's called Merciless, you know, but in a body count album, really body count album is is really an iced tea album done to metal. So there's a one, there's always a song about girls, probably sexy. There's always something that's totally fucking outrageous, but there will be some knowledge in there, some game, something that's, we, you need to hear and learn and understand. So I think the legacy of Body Count is not just a metal band, but a, a metal band that always talk about something, topics that people could get behind. You know, I remember Rage and the Machine opened for us when they were first starting out and we're on the same channel. You know, um, the only difference with Body Count is I didn't want to be totally political because I can't think that can kind of get monotonous, you know? So I call body count. I call body count. Body count is, 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 is grindhouse. It's a Tarantino movie. It's so violent that it's funny. It's over the top grindhouse. You know, when the guy goes to his car, he doesn't grab a gun. He grabs a rocket launcher, you know? So some of this stuff, if you don't get the, 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 the humor and KKK bitch. If you don't get the humor and mama's got to die at night where I decapitate and dismember my mother with a Gensu carving knife that we only use for bullshit holidays like Thanksgiving. If you don't get that dark humor, it'll scare the shit out of you. But the people that like it, get it. And they, they don't, they, they, they like the humor. They like the edge. They get it. It's so funny that, you know, people watch slasher films, horror movies, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that the directors get a carte blanche for that, but it's just funny that people will let that slip through the cracks a little bit more easily than these sort of, this sort of imagery and music. And, and really, what's the difference? It's still, it, it, there's entertainment. It's still inject entertainment and humor and gore and just, like you said, to the point where it's camp this sort of level of, 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 you know, of horror and imagery that, that, you know, can just scare people, frankly. And, and I just don't, I don't, I've never, it's always kind of struck me as odd that, that people will make that distinction when it's just another form of, of, of fantasy and fiction. You know what it is, Jason? I think the problem is I shift from that to dead serious and people don't, sometimes they just don't know when I'm being serious or when I'm fucking with you. And 
I can't I can't change that. I mean, to me, that's part of the fun is that, you know, I mean, I used to always have people come over my house and they'll, I'll, they'll be doing interviews with me and I'll go, oh, well, you know, homelessness and, you know, we have the AIDS epidemic and we have to go through these problems with poverty. But I'm running late. I got to get to a pit bull fight. So can we hurry up and cut this interview off? And they're like, what the fuck did you just say? You know? But I, I'm not going to a pit bull fight. I'm just saying this shit to fuck with somebody's head. And I just Rick Rubin said Ice T, Andrew Dice Clay. Eminem have the ability to say the most wrong thing at the most inopportune time. And it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. But then it can also bite you in the ass, you know, like, like it did, you know, when, when cop killer came back to haunt you what, a year after it actually came out, just because like you said, they were trying to find a, a target for election year. Well, you gotta, uh, <laughs> you got, you gotta be prepared for it. You know, I mean, if you're outrageous and you're pushing the edge, you never know when you're going to really offend some fucking body. You know, so like Seymour Science said, it wasn't the best title. It's kind of like, you know, you're really asking for it. So I learned, I learned, but, you know, I still can't stop doing shit. Like that. And, I don't, and I, I don't think you have any regrets about it, about that song. Huh. No, not at all. Not at all. Because like I said, I wasn't telling people you should go kill cops. I don't hate cops. This was a song. See, like I say, the song was made off Psycho Killer by Talking Heads. I was singing Psycho Killer in the rehearsal hall. And Vic, my drummer, rest in peace, said, we need a cop killer. So coming off the third, Psycho Killer. So the Psycho Killer is a cop killer. So it's, it's not, it's an insane person. You know, but they're not mad at Talking Heads for singing Psycho Killer, which is a song about a psycho killer. So I just targeted somebody with this crazy lunatic. I think what scared people about it is because the cop killer kind of became a hero, like that they, people liked it. And like I said, if I made a song called School Teacher Killer, uh, Wife Killer, Fireman Killer, nobody would, they would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But the fact, and also Ernie said, it's not even really about cops, it's about authority. People hate authority. They hate security guards. They hate anyone that says no. So it's like, fuck authority right now, especially when you're brutal. Fuck you. Ice-T's story has a happy ending. I don't just mean that he wound up playing one of the most famous cops on TV the kind of irony Ice relishes. He also got to reconnect with Spike and team up with him again. However, this time not for anything dodgy or illegal. You can read all about it in Ice's new book, Split Decision. As for Cop Killer, when asked about its legacy, body count guitarist Ernie C sums it up as a bunch of angry black kids from South Central channeling their inner Ramones and just writing a plain-spoken, no-nonsense punk song. But he also recognizes that it's more than that. It defined a movement and defined in 1992. Cop Killer is part of our legacy. It kept us around for this long. We stood for something and we really said what we meant. You know, and that's what's so important about that song. We wrote the soundtrack to the riot. You can't take that away. That song reflects that year. If you put that year in a capsule, that song would have to be part of it. The track's message feels more relevant and resonant than ever after the killing of George Floyd and so many more 
victims of police brutality, and the unrest, riots, and racial reckoning that followed in 2020. The song may not be as readily available as other protest anthems, but if you're frustrated enough, hurt enough, enraged enough, you can find it, play it, and scream along to that chorus. It exists, furious and unhinged, fearless and unstoppable. The sound of something cracking open and waking up. Where Were You in 92 was a production of iHeartRadio. The executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The show was researched, written, and hosted by me, Jason Lanfier, with editing and sound design by Michael Alder-June. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.